Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Tooth enamel is the strongest substance produced by the human body, protecting the sensitive inner parts of our teeth. But once it's gone, it's gone. We only get one layer of enamel. New research from the University of Washington could eventually change that. Scientists were able to turn stem cells into specialized cells that produced a rudimentary enamel. Hanale Ruhola Baker is a professor of biochemistry and the associate director of the Institute for Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine at the University of Washington. She joins us now. Welcome to Think Out Loud. Thank you. What makes tooth enamel unique among substances in the human body? Mm. Well, obviously, like you said, it is the strongest material we have in our body. But but enamel has its trouble. The trouble with enamel is that even though it's so useful for us, it actually wears off. Um, and other animals, like sharks, they have taken care of this by producing new teeth all the time. While we get our permanent teeth, uh, and then we keep the same teeth and same enamel, what, 70 years or so in our lifetime. Do you know why that is? I mean, is it just that we're <laughs> we're living longer than than our teeth were evolved to to help us chew for? I think so. I think you are right. We are living much longer than we used to, and we perhaps ought to. But um, but but on the other hand, we live a pretty healthy life. Still, we are um, in 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 long in nine years so, and so it's exciting that uh, that modern life uh, keeps us healthy for longer. Only thing is that our teeth don't seem to be regenerating on our teeth are actually getting maybe more misused than they used to. And those would be because of our food. We, we perhaps eat much more sugar than we ought to or, or we used to. Hmm. Can you describe the, the way tooth enamel is created um, normally before you and your team started uh, messing around in fascinating and complicated ways with stem cells right. so what what happens normally so what happens is that actually this happens very early in 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 you or in me or in our children they they create the teeth um and particularly the, the uh, dentin and enamel during the fetal development and so um, it basically happens in mother's womb. And, um, and that is also where then, unfortunately, some genetic diseases show up, something called analogenesis uh, imperfecta, uh, mutations that can cause problems in this process in mother's womb, in the baby that is, that is developing. And am I right that by the time teeth um, come out of the gums erupt, I guess is the technical word. Right. The the right. enamel formulation is it's it's well done by that point. That's right. So so enamel is made by special uh, cell then and this cell is called ameloplast. And this ameloplast is um only only in our body when we are developing, when we are developing those teeth during the fetal development and then 
um, then at the before our permanent teeth are um, erupted. After that, those kind of cells are gone. They don't, and they are needed to make enamel. So we clearly don't have anything in our body that could make more enamel. That enamel that is um, is produced by ameloplasts in our permanent teeth got produced very early in our development. And once you have the permanent tooth erupting, like you said, there's no more making enamel in in um, in our body. When you first started looking into these cells, I understand that some of the first teeth you studied were actually your son's. How did that come to be? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a, a good story or a good point. That um, yeah, I have a very personal uh, connection to this. I I work. I'm associate director in Stem Cell Institute, and I'm really interested in regeneration and stem cell based uh, production of different cell types. Um, and and one of these cell types clearly is um, is, the um, organ that is made is our tooth and um, and there wasn't really a way of of analyzing understanding what how do how we need to guide the stem cells to make any cells in tooth Um, but then it it became became clear that our children my both my children actually first my daughter uh, went to um, to, to the rite of passage stage where her, her wisdom teeth were pulled off. And it's a quite uh, gruesome process, actually. <laughs> and, um, and then when it was my son's turn, it sort of a uh, light bulb went on and we thought maybe we can take advantage. Maybe we can turn something that isn't so pleasant to be more pleasant. And, um, and it is true. You can um, now, if, if, if you are... Um, if it's that time that you are going to get uh, wisdom teeth pulled off, you could protect cell types in there, something called dental pup stem cells. And those are stem cells that can produce part of your teeth and, and they can be very useful. And, and that was all very exciting. And, and those cells, dental pup stem cells actually can make the other, um, interesting cell type, which is odontoplasm. And that makes the other protective uh, layer dentine. But unfortunately, in those teeth, you can't find ameloplast anymore. So you really need both odontoplast and ameloplast to make the perfect tool. Sort of, you need those two to tango. So that's where then we went forward and realized that even though it's very exciting to um, to be able to analyze and understand um, the teeth, the stem cells that exist in your in your wisdom teeth, still it isn't quite enough to regenerate the tooth. Meaning you needed embryonic stem cells to, to get the the cells that would turn that would create enamel. Right. So actually we um, so two things there. First thing is that we needed to understand, like you said, um, my, my, my lab and, and the Stem Cell Institute here in Seattle and University of Washington is really specialized into uh, regenerating cells from pluripotent stem cells. Um, and uh, today we mainly use something called induced pluripotent stem cells. So that's very, uh, very nice. Uh, they are, they are, they are made by uh, reprogramming from blood cells and they are pluripotent and you can make them from any individual who needs, uh, regeneration. So you can make these pluripotent stem cells. 
But now the question then was, how do we guide these pluripotent stem cells to become ameloplasts? Let me make sure that I understand and that our audience understands. So these pluripotent stem cells, these these are cells, stem cells that could turn into all kinds of of cells, could could turn into all kinds of organs, liver or brain or skin or an eyeball. Correct. And the question is, how do you get them to turn (laughs) into teeth? Exactly. Uh, and, And, well, and the question for me is, can you explain how you do that in a way that, that we might understand? Yes, actually. So we, we, uh, we did not have the guidelines we did, uh, the, or the blueprint. We did not know what we should add to the media so that these cells do, would become the right kind of cells. But then we did get help from the uh, technical development that has taken place here in Seattle, um, in in Pacific Northwest, Northwest, where people like to collaborate. There are multiple institutes. There is the Stem Cell Institute, there is the Institute for Protein Design, and then there is the Institute for uh, really high technology, technology sequencing. And so uh, what we were able to do, we were able to analyze uh, uh, early human um, developing fetus, um, their their, uh, RNA, the genes that are expressed in these particular cells in early stages. And now we can take our pluripotent stem cells, like you said, these iPSCs, and give them either some naturally existing lichens, or then use the the Institute for Protein Design and design to use artificial intelligence to to make totally new, even better uh, molecules that make uh, these cells to take the right path. Hmm. What did you end up with? I mean, can you describe what you got these ameloblasts, these are the, the cells yes. in, in developing fetuses that create enamel. What did you eventually get them to create? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. So they themselves, if you um, let them be in a three-dimensional space, they make something called um, organoids that they uh, they produce ameloplasts that have polarities. They can secrete this. Um, in theory, they could secrete the enamel, enamel um, out from one end. But they didn't do it. So we we made these great balls, organoids of the ameloplasts. How and we we saw that the enamel proteins were made in the in these cells, but they didn't come out. Huh. And that's when we realized that mm, that's that's not what happens in a nature. What happens in a nature is that these ameloplasts are in close contact with the other cell type. Remember odontoplasts. So we had to actually introduce this friend, the odontoplast, to the ameloplast organoid, and this this uh, these two cells in, made an organoid that now began to secrete uh, proteins that are making your enamel, the white, the outermost material in your teeth. So you, you were able to exciting. make it so they, at first they, they made the enamel, but it, it wasn't next to its a, a necessary other cell that, that made something that normally would put the enamel onto. You had to actually put those together. Are you... That's right. 
are are when you say secrete, is, are, are these just sort of I don't know extruding um, a, a, a mess of enamel, or is it making enamel say in the shape of a tooth? Are, are, is, is this material you could use, or is it just a finished product that you can? It is what it is. Yeah, that's a really good question. That's exactly where we are now. So we have now, like you said, there were all these steps and hurdles, but now we are at the stage where these cells actually do what they're supposed to be doing, secreting these proteins. But now then we have to really make a tooth. And, um, and that's where, um, you know, that's where we are right now. Now we want to, um, recruit more young scientists to join this research and, 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 and sort of really become a 21st century restorative dentistry, uh, lab here in, in University of Washington. Because now, now we see the glimpse. We, we can see where this is leading. We actually feel like this is reality. But we are not quite there yet. Well, what is the dream? Okay, good question too. The dream is that you can use these organoids in three ways. The first dream that can come through, um, hopefully relatively soon, is that we have these little factories of organoids that, that make enamel. And then uh, we just take the enamel and and paint the teeth that have little cracks with this uh, this nature-made uh, enamel material. That would be number one. Number two is that we take the organoids and in, unfortunately, in these cavities that, or injuries that we get, maybe we could uh, in, insert these organoids into the, in the cavities and, and uh, make them uh, produce the right kind of material, the right place. So, and so there would really, be a, a filling that that creates new enamel. Kind of, I think you've I've, I've seen you describe yeah. it as, as a living filling. That's right. Huh. I like that. Yes, I think living filling is very, um, very refreshing way of thinking of dentistry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, what have you heard from <laughs> dentists about this? So that's a good point. There are sort of two groups. There are lots of dentists who are very excited because they are perhaps, uh, they see the, like, okay, I should say there have been two dentists who were a part of this, this project, um, and this paper that we just published. And both of them say that they know once they see a patient and they made, there's a cavity that they, they begin to drill the first time. They know that that's the beginning of the cycle of death, tooth cycle of death. So first, you, you it, it never gets better. It's just you, the, the, the things get worse and worse, and and um, and we, as we know, we get the we get the feeling, and it lasts for ten years, and then you have to do the next step, and so on. So these kind of dentists are very excited about the idea that perhaps finally we can do something else than just fill the hole with with material. But then, of course, there are also the naysayers, the ones who say that this is just a dream. I, I, I agree, it's a dream, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm a dreamer, and I, I, I want to make this dream reality. Hanale Ruhola-Baker, thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 
Hanalei Ruhola-Baker is a professor of biochemistry and the associate director of the Institute for Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine at the University of Washington. Finally today, our producer Gemma DiCarlo joins me to read some of your recent feedback. Hey, Gemma. Hey, Dave. Last month, we talked with a couple of Oregon cities about how their downtowns are faring. We asked listeners to write in with their experiences, and we got a lot of positive responses. Matthew Hall said on Facebook, I visit downtown Hillsboro frequently, which has been doing an incredible job of improving the pedestrian experience and building multimodal connections, as well as attracting a variety of interesting shops and restaurants. Kay Robb wrote in from Albany. She said, I love downtown without question. I love the shops, the food, the cool art, and the historic vibe. I'd really like to live there, but with rentals being an entire nightmare, it seems unlikely. Dave Dyke wrote, Downtown Gresham is doing well. We're building more housing in a pedestrian-friendly neighborhood that is served by transit and the Springwater Corridor bike route. Restaurants are busy and community events such as the Teddy Bear Parade, Arts Festival, Farmer's Market, and Third Thursday continue to grow. He went on to say there are challenges for sure. In particular, a lack of affordable housing in the region means we continue to have a number of community members suffering from homelessness. But I am optimistic about the future of downtown Gresham. Kate Kamiski said our little downtown area in Roseburg is actually quite nice, but small businesses have a really hard time surviving for more than a year. So many great little restaurants and shops have started and ended abruptly. She added, I keep hoping this town will progress and grow into something more than fast food and box stores, but it's a real struggle. I believe the success of a thriving downtown will reflect the success and future of the town itself. We talked last month with the nonprofit Heart of Cardam about their work to reduce and reimagine waste on Oregon's North Coast. We asked listeners about the lengths they go to to avoid throwing stuff away. Christy Anderson Stewart wrote, To the frustration of my husband, I go way out of my way. My husband cleaned out our fridge recently, and I found condiment containers just tossed in the garbage. I fished them out, cleaned them, and then recycled them. It's the proper way to handle your trash. Diane Cress Hauer wrote, I do a lot. I'm down to one medium bag of garbage a week. Everything else is composted or recycled or repurposed. I also run an Airbnb and have a binder and suggestions in my unit so that tourists or visitors to Central Oregon are not adding unnecessary things to our already nearly full dump. Maya Taylor wrote, We have to pay extra for a service to collect very common consumer packaging items like plastic bags and clamshells that can't be recycled by municipal services. The best option is to minimize consumption, since plastic materials are largely not recyclable. Even buying secondhand and repairing items feels disheartening, given how much waste industry is producing constantly. We talked about mushroom foraging just before the recent Mount Pisgah Arboretum Mushroom Festival in Eugene. We asked what you love about foraging. Jill Laxon said, The sheer variety that this state offers is fascinating to me. Whether I forage for edibles or not, just learning what they are is part of the fun. M. Salmonberry wrote, It's the only time we go off trail and explore the woods. My family loves a treasure hunt and how exciting it is to find a patch. The wild, inedible mushrooms we find are super exciting and cool, too. Bernita King said, The silence of the woods is enchanting. I have foraged through the woods for mushrooms since I was a child. My favorite is a shaggy mane. I remember riding my bike home as fast as I could to tell my mom about a patch I found around the neighborhood. And then there was Abby Farber who wrote, I'm a mushroom forager, but only forage from a plate 
or a Super Bowl. Earlier this week, we talked about the many ways sports media is changing from rising cable fees to streaming options. We asked listeners how they're catching games these days. Mike Snyder said, I'm watching the Blazers at a sports bar. Lindsay Hotstetler wrote, I actually went back to cable. Where I live, it ended up being the same price as streaming options, and it was the easiest way to guarantee I could watch the NFL and the Trailblazers. Jeffrey Brown wrote, I have a sports app that I use on my phone. It has all the games, NFL, NCAA, NBA, etc. It's pirated and cuts out occasionally on some of the links, but usually good quality. If it's a YouTube link, I can stream it right on my TV. And Natasha Gaskin wrote, I have mostly stopped watching all TV. Too many streaming services. I miss the sports, but it is just so inconvenient and expensive. Finally, we recently spent the hour with Carlos Sanchez, the head veterinarian at the Oregon Zoo. We followed him as he checked in on rhinos and penguins and goats and other critters during his daily rounds. Dana Miller wrote on Facebook, his interview was utterly charming. He loves pandas and the rhinos at Oregon Zoo and is heartbroken when they lose any patient. The elephants get weekly pedicures because their foot health is so important. Too sweet. We always welcome your emails and your comments in whatever form. Our address is thinkoutloud at opb.org. Our voicemail number is 503-293-1983. On Facebook, we're at OPBTOL. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you, Dave. Tomorrow on the show, two dozen Oregonians went to Portugal recently. The group included elected officials, police officers, and substance use treatment providers. They went to learn about the country's 20-year-old drug decriminalization program. We'll talk to two state lawmakers on the trip to find out what they saw and if there are applicable lessons in Oregon. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford. Thank you.